We are talking once again with Ari Cohn. He is the founder and president of the Post-Prison Education Program. Good afternoon, Ari. It's uh, it's been a while since been a while since we actually talked to you. Uh, we had a couple months there where you couldn't come in, and then after that, we lost our studio space. So I think this is the first time in four months, five months, that we'll have a fresh program for everyone to listen to. Yeah, it was like um, couldn't come in. It was like wouldn't come in. I'm like. 500,000 people are dead, and I don't want to be number 500,001. I hear you. So I got, um, I got, but it's a, I just think it got super scary. So I'm either at home or I'm at the office, and I'm really, I've been paranoid about it. I finally got my second shot, though, last Saturday morning. And it went really well, and no side effects. So I ha- I'm now, I'm now v- vaccinated, so, or whatever. So very good. Yeah. At least against COVID. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, but I'm still at- acting. You know, like today there's only there's three of us in the office, and we're still. We're probably, I'm like I'm 50 feet away from the nearest person, and we're both wearing masks. Or I shut. Well, I was wearing a mask, so I shut my door. And and Steve's out there with a mask on. So anyway, um, what are we going to talk about? Well, let's touch on since we brought up COVID, and since that's still uh, forefront in a lot of people's minds. Um, the situation when we spoke with you four months back, the Washington State Correctional Facilities were running rampant with COVID. Yeah, they're out of control. So um, I haven't looked at it today, and I'll do it right now uh, real quickly and look at the DOC's website. So people that want to see the current status in the prisons, they can go to doc.wa.gov. And on the home page, just click on the link, the red link for COVID, and then click on confirm cases. And right now it's showing 6,176 confirmed cases in DOC's prisons, 14 prisoners dead. In uh, some of the prisons that, you know, like, for example, Stafford Creek out of Aberdeen is out of control, and it's got 58 new cases and five dead. Um, then Monroe is sort of just take these, they, they explode, right? So they'll have no cases and then they'll explode. Um, and so like Monroe has 134 new cases, uh, for a total of 550. And so, and so that's, uh, not cool. And, and it's, um, it's like, uh, I mean, it didn't need. It didn't need to be. It's uh, I, the. I'll tell you a story. Uh, you've never probably never heard me tell a story before. <laughs> this will be a first. Yeah. Right. So when Melody Simley, who you know, um, had a has a page on Facebook 
about the um, you know Washington State Ombuds, the Ombuds Office that oversees the Department of Corrections, and and uh, she put a post up years ago when um, about some horrible things that were happening in the prisons, and 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 I think her post, I don't remember exactly, but her post was su- suggesting some solutions or something like that, and I couldn't resist because I didn't agree with what she had posted. So I, I was like, no, Melody, it's not what you're saying. That's not going to solve the problem until the Department of Corrections starts, cha- you know, changes their hiring practices, who they hire and how they hire, and they stop hiring. Can I say a-holes? Because that's what I said in a Facebook post that day. Anyway, so uh, like, Yes. Okay. I guess that's for on WebEx. You could even edit it out, maybe after you get the recording done. But, but I literally, I, I said, until the Department of Corrections stops hiring assholes, and I named some of them. So you know, Anna Elward, um, I despise. I mean, she was Assistant Secretary of Community Corrections. She was one of these people that would be nice to your face. And 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 then just was a horror story in the background and blocking things that needed to be done and just behaving really badly. And so I named all these people and I tagged Eldon Vale because Eldon, I knew, who's a, for, for those who don't know, Eldon's a former secretary of the DOC and a 30-year career guy and, um, and somebody I really like and admire and respect and wish was governor, frankly. Uh, and um, and I so I tagged Eldon because I knew uh, Anna Elward was probably on his Facebook page, and if I tagged him, she'd see it, right? And and so that's what that happened, and she did see it. And the next morning at DOC headquarters, uh, there was an, a real live like emergency meeting, and some of the strong out about my Facebook post and me calling some DOC staff members by name, assholes, and, and, and saying that them being assholes was at the root of a lot of the problems, it, which is true. You know, like uh, there's a, an ombuds report just came out yesterday, uh, and uh, uh, about a horrible event that happened at Stafford Creek. And you can you can read it. Suzanne Cook put it on her page, but and I'll forward it to you. But I mean, uh, staff accosted uh, prisoners, stripped them naked, made them stay naked, used electric charges, and all kinds of things. It was like perverts from 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 Auschwitz or something. And uh, so I my deal with that Facebook post was. When I, if I had said negative things, but I didn't name, uh, if I hadn't called out people by name, then there wouldn't have been this emergency meeting. But there was, and 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 high up DOC people who had been big supporters of our work were putting a really embarrassing situation. And, and at the head of the list was Scott Frakes, who to this day is a dear friend of mine, and. Uh, uh, he and his wife, he's in charge of DSC in Nebraska now and for several years. And, uh, and so uh, uh, an email went out from Scott to all the superintendents 
telling them that we couldn't, they didn't pull my badge, but they said, I, they told the superintendent I couldn't use it. Right. So, um, and then one of the superintendents who was a really good friend of mine forwarded Scott's email to me. So I had him by the balls and then I went to the press with it. And, and, uh, uh, but anyway, the, 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 you know, those assholes that DSC employs, they're like QAnon, Donald Trump, QAnon believers and supporters, tobacco chewing, redneck, junior college degree. I don't know what else to say, but they're like Trump supporters. I don't know what else you can say. And they're haters, right? And so they live irresponsibly in their communities, not wearing masks, going to the, you know, you know, drinking beer together, partying together, and purposefully flaunting um, safe practices when it comes to COVID, ignoring anything that World Health Organization or CDC would ever see. And so then they get COVID, and then these, and I want to use the F word really bad, these Fs, you know, then they take COVID into the prisons, and the prisoners are like sitting ducks, right? And and, And so that's how... The prisons have exploded to having more than 6,000 confirmed cases. That's like one-third of the population of, of Washington's prisons. You might have 18,000 people in, the, in Washington's prisons right now, one-third one of them. And I think it's more like 15,000, so more than a third of the prison population has COVID. And we have students right now that have it, and have, have, you know, we've had multiple students get it. Some just get through it pretty pretty okay you know it's mild and they're and but we've got uh, we've had a couple be super sick um, and we've got one guy right now uh, who's very sick at Monroe in the Washington State Reformatory so yeah so COVID is, is a horror story and it's because Inslee doesn't care if Inslee gave a damn then seeing Steve Sinclair would give a damn right if the governor cared, then the secretary of the agency would care or would act like he cared and, and would take steps. But in, I think Ansley's attitude towards prisoners really seems to be that they're not human beings, so they don't matter. I mean, they're just now this week, a, a year plus of COVID-19, just now this week getting vaccines into the prisons. Just now, like this week, last week, just in, in meaningful numbers. And by the way, I got an email. I meant to post on it on Facebook. I got an email about uh, uh, from Walla Wall saying that DOC staff are refusing to, to be vaccinated. You know, if, if somebody in my office refused to be vaccinated, they wouldn't have a job <laughs> in it, Steve Sinclair should be put in front of a friggin' firing squad for for continued to employ people who, you know, you stay home. If you're not going to get, if you're offered a vaccine and you're not going to take it, then give them the option to stay home without pay because they're not doing their job. But if they're just going to like go to work when their supervisors aren't watching, not wear masks, um, and and. Uh, and not be vaccinated. It's just, it, it, it's it's some form of genocide is what it looks like to me. Anyway, so it's horrible. It's really horrible. And, it, you know, there's no, um, there's no programs. 
because the, all the programming places are, are, are now turned into housing units so they can move people. You know, you got COVID in this housing unit, so you move prisoners that have it out of there and you put them down in the education department and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, it's bad. And um, I don't know what else to say. It's just bad. It's, 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 it, actually, there's no, no words suffice. It's that bad. So. Which kind of segues into what I wanted to talk about today uh, when you asked me about doing this. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of people, um, DOC employees who aren't coming to work, and as a result, prisoners are being released late. And we're and and, and our nonprofit is really being taxed staff-wise and financially because we're having to meet extraordinary circumstances and the way you meet them is you write checks, right? So it's like, um, I think, I don't remember the first case, but, um, and it's been a couple months, this is really ongoing. Um, uh, at, at Shelton, so the Washington Correction Center for Men, such so as Washington Correction Center, they have a, a, a unit called Evergreen Unit, and that's supposed to prepare men for release, right? And and it, it, it it's always been poorly staffed, and and it's never worked well, even pre-COVID. And people come out of there addicted and relapse really quickly. And there are very few success stories coming through throughout Evergreen, but. Um, a guy was in there, and his name was David Wheatley. Uh, I, th I think it was Wheatley. I, I, we, we just paid his rent again. I ought to. I ought to uh, uh, let me just look in my outlook and see. Um, I think it's Wheatley. So, yeah, David Charles Wheatley, and. Um, and he heard about us from somebody else, and he was two weeks from his release date, right? And and he knew that he wasn't that close to the door. He knew it was impossible to, to submit an address, a release address, and then get the Department of Corrections, community corrections people in the field to go to the address and approve it as, a, as, a, as an address he could release to. So he knew he wasn't going to... Um, release on time at that point and somebody had told him to call us and and so we that so then we wait you know we mailed an application into him. we're not going to do anything for anybody without an application and it, 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 you know we'll rush applications and we'll, we'll work with friendly staff and DOC has some wonderful staff but they also have some haters and then they got the people in the middle but um, the uh, we sent an application to him. He sent it back, and then and then we went to work. And the first thing I did was I've had a good relationship with Dan White, who's the superintendent down there for a long, long time. So I, I wrote Dan an email and said, can you please introduce me to this guy's counselor? And then Dan wrote back, and he was uh, he said, all right, I'm not at the prison. Now I've been I'm like on an assignment at headquarters in Tumwater. But he, he got uh, Dean Mason, who's an assistant superintendent out there, involved. And then in the process, he, he, he said, 
He said, this guy's, here's, this guy's counselor is Latchow. That was his name. And, he, and he's, he's not at work, and he's, he's not been at work, which is what the prisoner had told us. We had told us, he said, I've been sending kiosk messages to my counselor for like months and months, and he keeps not responding. And then here I've got the superintendent of the prison admitting to me that the, that the counselor just simply didn't come to work. I'm going to, like, look his name up in my outlook again. Um, it's, so it's like L-A-T-C-H-A-W, I think. Yeah, Ryan J. Latchow, L-A-T-C-H-A-W. So um, so then, so um, so what, what we did was we, we did the Department of Corrections job for them. I just told Danielle Armbruster in an email the other day because we just did it again for a woman who, will, when she finally gets out, she'll be 90 days past her release date. She's still locked up. She should have been released four days before Christmas. She's still in prison. Thanks to us, she'll she'll be getting out. And uh, uh, But it's, let me, I got to let somebody know. Um, So, um, you know, so, so we 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 um, we live in WebEx chat, WebEx meetings, WebEx calling. It's kind of wonderful, actually. Uh, so you, you could be effective at, at home or office. But um, anyhow, we we arranged. We found an Oxford house for this guy, in in Bremerton. It's Oxford House Blitz. Uh, we, we arranged for the Department of Corrections. I mean, we, we arranged for this guy to be interviewed by the residents of that Oxford house by telephone, which is totally out of, you know, that's just not the way it's done. You know, like if you're going to, if you're a resident of a transition house and you're talking about, you're deciding whether to let somebody in to be a co-resident with you under the same roof with you, you want to meet them face to face and have a discussion and find out who they're, what they're about. And so, like, telephone interviews are, are few and far between and hard to arrange. But, but I, uh, there's a, Oxford House is phenomenal in every respect. And, I, and, um, and then at the top of Oxford House in Washington State is a guy named Jason Bliss, who's just incredibly incredible. And so I worked with Jason and Steve Henderson in our office work with some of the people at the Oxford House, and we arranged for this for Wheatley to be able to do a telephone interview. And then we put money on his books so he could because he can't call the Oxford House collect. So then we, you know, go into GTL and put money on his books. And then we work with this assistant superintendent Dean Mason to to have him be taken from his cell to a phone. Uh, so he could do the interview at like seven o'clock on a particular Sunday evening, and it's it's hard not to use every cuss word I know to to to, to describe what happened that evening. But the lazy I want to use the F word, the lazy F apostrophe S guards in the Evergreen unit couldn't get their lazy asses over to let Wheatley out of the cell to get into a phone to do the interview. And their attitude was just super ambivalent. It was like, you know, if you've got an appointment for seven o'clock, your appointment is for seven o'clock. It's not, you can call, you can't call 45 minutes later. And especially if, if these guys are going to be assembled in the living room around a phone waiting to have a conversation. But the cop's attitude was like, 
you know, they got they got him to a phone 45 minutes late, and they DSC admitted it. And so then we had to set set it up for the next Sunday because they only do interviews on Sundays, right? So at that point, the, he, he he's doing the interview to go to the Oxford House after his release date. His his, his earned release date has come and gone, and DOC has done not one goddamn thing for this guy, not one goddamn thing. And and so um, at the head of the list, a, a counselor just not being at work. For, I forget it was three months or six months. Just I don't think I'm going to come to work anymore. You know. That prison that I work at is loaded with COVID. DOC employees, we all brought it in there. That's why it's it's loaded with COVID. It's not a safe place to be. So I think I'll stay home for the next six months and, you know, screw everybody that's locked up there and and, and just shirk my responsibilities. And, and so he got voted in the second Sunday, and then we had to get the address approved. And, and so um, – I had been in a, a, a Zoom, uh, Washington Health Care Authority is uh, sort of an agency that a lot of people don't know about, and we had been invited to do a presentation to their whole group, and which I think uh, there's 100-plus people in there. And Lauren Davis, was, who's in the House of Representatives, she was uh, – Lauren was uh, on that – is part of the healthcare authority uh, group, whatever you want to call it, and uh, so uh, are, you, are we still connected? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. So um, I was talking about actually an event that happened before Wheatley, and Lauren popped in, and she and she wanted to, and she's a good person. She wanted to brag though that that she was working at the legislature to improve the DOC's voucher program. And so she said something about getting extra months, right, of, of funding. So maybe instead of three months of voucher, you get four months. I forget what it was. And, and I'm like, Lauren, the problem isn't, you know, how many months of voucher. It's like the bigger problem is who you're excluding from getting the voucher. So if you have an arson conviction, you can't get you can't get the voucher, right? Um, if you uh, if you if uh, just on and on and on. So like I told her about this guy named Anthony McKay, um, and then she said, "Send me some information." So she said, "I want to know more about it." So I sent her an email, and, and, and what had happened with this guy because of it, he had a juvenile arson case. And so he didn't qualify for the voucher program, which meant he was going to release with no financial assistance, no job, no money, no just I call it released into nothingness. If the Department of Corrections, if Jay Inslee's Department of Corrections excels at anything, it's releasing prisoners into nothingness. That's what they excel at. Um, I mean, I put Inslee on. Steve Sinclair's death row, I'd be happy as a pig in shit in North Carolina mountains. It's just like, really, that's where he should be because people are people people are dead because of the way the DOC is being run right now and has been run for the last year. So anyway, um, 
when when McCain couldn't get the voucher money, then we had to. If he was going to not be homeless, we we had to get, you know, we had to pay for it. So and then we had to find, and you can't get into an auction house if you've got a, an arson case. So we had to find a transition house that would take him. It was more expensive than an Oxford house, not as good, but more expensive. And we had to prepay $800 um, and uh, to hold the room. And and, uh, and, and so what I was telling Lauren is like, you know, four months of voucher money for some people, I'm like, so what? What about the? How about the people who don't qualify for it at all? And, and use this guy as an example. So anyway, and then so then Dan White's prison comes along again, and screws everything up. So they miscalculated this guy's release date. So like, we're paying the rent for this transition house, and I think it was six hundred dollars for the rent, two hundred for a deposit, right? For a specific period of time. But then DOC changed his release date, right? Which meant he was still in the prison while the room was being held. So what it actually happened? What actually happened was that that the first month rent that we paid for to Bill Foreman's transition house in Tukwila, nobody was in the room. We were paying for an empty room because McCaig was still in prison in Shelton because the DOC at Shelton at Washington Correction Center miscalculated his release date. And they miscalculated it three times. See my fingers? One, two, three. They calculated, recalculated, and calculated again. In a one-month period, they, they changed his release time three times. And I got this email from Dan White talking about how difficult it is to, to accurately compute release dates, right? So... So, so that situation happened, and, then, and so then when he came out, then we immediately had to pay another month's rent because the first month's rent was wasted. So, um, so then along comes Wheatley, and and I had this email to Lauren Davis in, in my sent mail, and I'm trying to figure out how to get the DFC's attention, somebody at headquarters to help get a CCO, a probation officer, to go out and approve the Oxford House Blitz as a release address and not take two or three weeks to, to do it, right? Um, so I, I, I wrote an email to, to, to Lauren Davis. I went and found the one that dealt with McCaig, and I copied Danielle Armbruster, who's Assistant Secretary of the Department of Corrections in charge of reentry, and some press people and some other people. And I, and I was like, Lauren... You asked about housing, and I gave you the story below on McCaig. Here's one that's worse. And then I talked about Wheatley and the counselor not being at work for, for three months or six months. And, um, and uh, like, instantly, and it was a weekend, Danielle was on my cell phone. And, and, and to, to her credit, she was on the phone with the prison. And, and you know, an assistant secretary calling a prison, that's almost like, you know, when Noah's out in the field chopping corn or whatever he did 3,000 years ago, and God spoke to him supposedly and was like telling Noah to go build the ark. You, know, you, just, you just don't, assistant superintendents aren't always calling line staff at prisons. So, so it's a little bit of an extraordinary event. So, but Danielle got involved. And frankly, I think because I had, because Lauren 
Davis is a public safety committee. The House of Representatives was involved. And, and, and she pushed the DOC to get out and approve the address and then pushed, pushed the prison to get him free. And he, he ended up releasing weeks past his release date. And, 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 and then again, I, and I had gone to Jason Bliss at Oxford House. We, we, we arranged all this and wrote a check. You, you know, it's, it's, I was on the phone with somebody. Um, actually, he's a prisoner. If, if you look on my Facebook, I, I was blown away. Uh, uh, the, the wife of uh, Derek Martin Armstead, uh, who's a prisoner that we're, we've been heavily involved with for a long time, and we're hoping to see home free in short order. And he, I was on the, and Derek's wife put a post. Took a JP that Derek wrote to his wife and, and then stuck it on my Facebook, and it was a, a nice way to start the day and uh, super nice way to start the day. But I was talking to Derek yesterday about you know who's out in in the field in this reentry world, right? And to me, there's the, there's the talkers and the doers, and you got all these goddamn busybodies, you know. Acting like they're doing something, but they just talk, talk, talk. They have these effing meetings and they yak, 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 and 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 and, and that doesn't solve housing. What solves housing is you find a, find a place with an available room and you write a check. Somebody's hungry, buy groceries. Write a goddamn check. Need a bus pass so you can job search. Buy the son of a bitch. You know, um, psychotic break. Write a check. I don't care if it's five thousand or fifteen thousand. So I was, it, 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 Derek and I were probably talking for an hour about all these little busybodies, and you see them on Facebook that are just running around, running their goddamn mouse. And some, some of them used to be friends of mine. I'm so angry at all of them that I can't see straight. It's just like, and I can't be polite, but it's just like. So anyway, we're, you know, with with, with Wheatley, we wrote a check, right? And and then and then and then and then. We, and then he gets out, and, and 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 he's out, but he's out with no groceries, and he's out with no clothes. So then we arrange for his him to go to Ross, um, and pick out some clothes. And his mother had flown in from New Jersey to see her son, and I was involved in a funeral that weekend, so I couldn't go over. And it you know, it wasn't Ross. It ended up being, uh, it ended up being Coles. Here's the damn receipt. You can see it, right? Can you see that? So like $408.42, right? So, so we, we just said, look, go, go over to Coles and, and pick out what you need and, and put it on layaway. And then we'll, re, we'll 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 buy the receipt from you. So his his mom uh, went with him, and she paid for it because I couldn't get over there for a funeral. And nobody else in my office is crazy enough to go out um, in COVID world, and so let alone get on the Bremerton ferry and all of that. So um, so then so then so then we we paid for his clothing, right? And then, and then we worked to help him find a job and we, to get him enrolled in the college so he can start the welding program next quarter. So it's just like, but the whole thing was like D- DOC just not doing their job to the point 
that it's not even describable. I, not, you know, if you and I had a five-hour radio show and I tried to describe what's going on in the Department of Correction failures right now, there it, it wouldn't be enough time. And, and people listening wouldn't understand it anyway. But it's just like, just imagine being a prisoner and you do your time, whether it's 25 years or five years or three years, and you're looking towards being released on such and such a date, and that date comes and you're still locked up. And it's because of malfeasance and misfeasance of Department of Corrections employees. And, and, and but for us, Wheatley might still be in prison, right? And, and so in the midst of that, a, 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 a female prisoner, a woman that we're working really close uh, on her, with her uh, and hope to see her out after 20, she, this is almost the anniversary of her 25th year in prison and she shouldn't have been in prison for a day. Um, she told a woman who had the same problems um, about us. And again, we get a phone call from somebody we don't know. It was Jasmine McCormick is her name. And um, we ship it out. We send an application down. She sends the application back. And then McKenna goes to work finding housing. And, 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 and we talked to Jason Bless at Oxford House and, um, and we talked to Hope Street, which is a wonderful new transition house in Walla Walla, but it's, it wasn't open yet at the point. It was brand new and hadn't opened. The Oxford House was full. The women's Oxford House in, in, was, was full and Star Project um, didn't have anybody, didn't, didn't have any opening. So, so like the woman was in prison past her release date, right? And she had a 35-day notifier. So by the time McKenna turned the world upside down, getting her a release address in Walla Walla, and then, then the counselor has to, you know, the community has to be involved as a victim notifier of 35 days. So she was a month late being released. And then they released her with voucher money, but they released her to a, a place with no bed, no furniture, like nothing. So, like, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago, this over on our conference, there was $1,600 worth of receipts that I've got to get into our QuickBooks. But it was snowing all the way to Walla Walla. It was snow and ice in Walla Walla. So I, but I'd, like, grab a zip car and, and, and go down there with a Chromebook and a cell phone and one night in the Hampton Inn, and the next morning I'm out shopping for a bed, and then I'm looking for somebody, to, and then the bed sellers can't deliver, you know, and I don't want her, like, coming out of prison and sleeping on the floor her first night out. So I, I found a friend who used to be, who was locked up for quite a few years, who lives down there now, and, and uh, I called Wally, and he's got a pickup truck, and he came over, and, and we took, and we got the bed into this apartment, and then I went to Ross's and bought $300 worth of gift cards so she could have clothes. Then I go to a grocery store and buy gift cards so she can have groceries. And then I go back and arrive at the transition house about the time that her aunt shows up with her and, 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 and everything's okay. Right. And so, uh, but it's, everything's okay. Cause a, a little piddly ass nonprofit called post prison education program, you know, ha, uh, you know, went to Walla Walla and spent about fifteen hundred dollars making it be okay, right? And 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 then you know, and then I think the the um, I mean, and this, that's just not the last one. I mean, we got uh, the same woman that told Jasmine to call us um, had a, a woman who's still locked up 
and I know she doesn't mind me putting her name out there, Elida Reeves, and her release date was four days before Christmas. And, 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 and again, and DOC had, had not done their job to find her a release address. So, again, we ship an application down to Purdy, get the application back. I mean, this is so boring. It's got to be boring to listen to it, and it's outrageous to be living it. So it's like, um, and I just, I, you know, I wish there was a way to make these stories be palatable or something to where people would really be empathic, engage with them, and did help help us do something about it. But I don't. I think we're. I, I sense often that we're just what we say is falling on deaf ears. And um, but anyway, I so said this. This Elida uh, gets an application in, and um, she'd had two or three release addresses in Tacoma, Pierce County, had been turned down by the Department of Corrections. And so we're like, I, so I called Jenny Burton, who you know, and I'm like, I'm like, Jenny, I can probably get the Department of Corrections to do a county of origin exception and let her release to King County, but I can't put her in an Oxford house because of her crime, and, and, I, and I need an Oxford house for a female. And Jenny had some close friends at Weld, W-E-L-D, and, and she got Carolyn Presser on the phone, and then we again we put money on the prisoner's books so she could make a phone call because she couldn't call Weld and do an interview, collect right. So we put money on on her books and and then she calls uh, calls Weld, talks to Carolyn, uh, and they and the, and and then and Carolyn Weld agrees to to have her released there. Then we work with DOC again, Danielle Armbruster. Um, to get the county of origin uh, uh, exception through, and and which happened really quickly, and uh, and then um, uh, and then you have to wait for the DOC, the CCO, to go out and authorize the address. And like weeks went by, like two or three weeks after we had gotten the address nailed down, after the interview was done. And we hadn't heard anything about the address being approved. So I fired off another email just a, a, a within the last week. And again, Lauren Davis at the, at the legislature, Danielle Armbuster, the Jasmine McCormick's counselor was also this woman's counselor at the women's president party. So to, to hit to him, Michael and, uh, and, and, it just happened that that morning they got the notification that the address was approved. So then the 35-day notifier starts, right? So on April 2nd, this woman uh, who uh, will, will release to Weld uh, like five months, uh, you know, four months and several weeks after her release date. You know, and, and, and so we've got, you know, we've got a, uh, a person on our staff with psychology training uh, is also g getting more, Maddie Gates. And so, like, Maddie's talking to a lot of by JPay, prisoner email, by phone calls, and, and, and she's hopeless. We had a psychiatrist on the phone yesterday in a WebEx with Maddie and Steve and I, and, and one of the things we were talking about was, 
just how beat down this whole experience has got Elida and how to inspire her and get her hopeful about a better future and so on. So, but the bottom line is we're now 41 minutes into this hour and, 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 and I, and I can't come close to telling you how horribly bad the department of corrections is failing. And, 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 you know, you've got Steve Sinclair, who's resigned. So he's secretary of the Department of Corrections. And it's so clear that he doesn't give a F. F. You know, he, he, you see it in his inaction. You don't see it in his actions because there aren't any actions. You see it in his inaction. If the governor gave a damn, Sinclair would act like he gave a damn. And then line staff would be acting like they gave a damn. But nobody, nobody in the, uh, that's not true. A lot of people, too many people in DOC are, don't give a damn. And, and so there's just horror stories. You know, they're, they're mixing people that don't have COVID with people who do have COVID. They'll like, um, Billy, Billy Joe Rutledge, who we've been working with for a long time and will have at the University of Washington come hell or high water. You know, he, he got COVID because they had, they had some men at Washington State Reformatory in, in an isolation room and, then they move those guys out after their 10 or 14 days of isolation and they don't clean that. They don't clean the room down, right? They don't spray it down. They don't disinfect it. And then they move got other guys in there. And so Billy ended up really super sick with the, with COVID, you know, so they just, they're mixing people with, with who don't have it with people who do have it. DOC staff's not coming to work in all cases and lots of cases that um, they're not doing their job. To get the job done in some cases, you've got to embarrass them. You know, you got to get a legislator involved. You've got to get a, a, um, a reporter involved or two or three reporters or somebody like that, you know, whatever. And, but it, it's just, it's horribly bad. And people don't care because for, it's somehow prisoners aren't seen to be human beings. You know, they're, it's just horrible. I don't know. It's, I don't, I'm done. Ask me something else or say something. I, can, I, I mean, I can beat that horse to death, and it won't. It won't make the point. So, currently in the Washington State Legislature, they are working on a a new bill um, this time around. It's House Bill Ten Forty Four. It was uh, approved by the House and is currently in the Senate. And it is a, in their words, an act relating to creating prison to post-secondary education pathways. Um, are you familiar with that bill at all? Um, I know you got so frustrated with the legislature that you, uh, at least at one point, told me you didn't find it worth your time to. No, we, 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 you know, for so many years at 2000 a month, we sent lobbyists down there. And then I, I finally decided if I want to mess around with whores, I'll go to a whorehouse. I'm not going to the legislature anymore. So we stopped sending the lobbyists down there and because it's a waste of money. And so like we've got all these friends and allies down there. And there's a lot of good bills down there. Uh, like 1282 is, a, is the one I think prisoners are most interested in. It's a House bill. Um, and it's sitting in appropriations right now. It's been, it's been, it, but it, it will, Increase good time, and a lot of people will get out. If 1282, uh, you know, passes, but I mean, it's may, maybe next week it will be 
heard in, in appropriations, and if it gets out of appropriations, you know the drill, then it'll go to rules. And if it gets out of rules, it goes to the floor. And if it gets voted by the House over to the Senate, then the whole process starts again. And sometime in the year 3042, it might get to the governor's desk, right? But there's, you know, but there's, uh, I think the problem with bills like the one you're talking about is DOC's refusal or inability to implement effectively leg- legislation that's that's passed, right? So it, the DOC have been confronted with a bill um, to uh, increase programming for education and and, and and put prisoners on a pathway to go to college. The legislature can think that through, and people like Claire Wilson, who's Claire Wilson, is sort of new on my horizon uh, at the legislature. She's in the Senate, and she's done some really good things. She's trying to correct county of origin, um, and I've been in some Zoom meetings with her, and like, I'm super impressed. And she seems like an, a wonderful lady, as is Lauren Davis, and, and so um, uh, and, and a few others down there. But you know, if the bill passes and Inslee signs it then the problem is that DOC has to implement it, and, and, and they won't. I mean, they just won't. They've been around since 1982, and if they've implemented anything effectively, I, I, it, I don't know what it was, and it sure as hell didn't benefit prisoners. Uh, and, 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 you know, the other part of it, and, again, going back to the conversation I had this morning or yesterday with Derek when he called in from the prison, um, I had, in fact, I had a, um, we sent somebody out to look at a transition house that's in Ballard. And uh, the lady that owns that transition house actually owns the transition house that I lived in when I first came out of prison in 2000. And, and, uh, and so, and I hadn't talked to, to Gail Alexander since 2003, but, uh, but I, sent Steve out there because it's a, a, a great place and, and I thought and he's looking for housing and, and so she she uh, and then I followed his visit up with an email this, last night and then she wrote this morning that you know she hadn't known what I was doing the last 17 years but once she got the email from me last night and she went to our website and she, and she read about our work and then she so she brought up University Beyond Bars right which used to be University Behind Bars and she said she, she's I was aware of UBB, but I wasn't aware of post-prison education program. And so I wrote back to Gail and I said, I said, the big difference between us and UBB is that the, st- the students for UBB can't recidivate, right? They're still locked up. They're not going to go hungry except for by choice. They can refuse a meal, but they're not going to go hungry. Um, they've got clothes in the winter. They've got heat. Um, you know, so, so, uh, and with, with us on the other hand, so UBB isn't paying for housing. They're not paying for groceries. If somebody has a psychotic break or attempts suicide or whatever, none of those financial burdens land on University Beyond Bars. Not one, not zero. Their payroll isn't $12,571 twice a month. Ours is, right? Um, and, and so, um, that, so, you know, the, I think so, so. The point is, edu- I, I almost 
if, if you've got finite right resources, and, and so if, if all needs can't be met, then don't focus on the needs of people that are locked up that have, I, I've got friends that if they hear this will kill me, not literally, but they won't be happy. They're, I've got like super close friends in the prisons that I love, admire, respect. They're crazy, intelligent, wonderful people. And, and I think they'd be not happy with me talking about it along these lines. But it, it, again, if you're in prison, you got a roof over your head. You're not going to go hungry. You're not going to be unclothed. You're not going to be in 23 degrees sleeping on a sidewalk unless some nonprofit writes a rent check. Um, uh, you know, all, all of that. And, and so I, ha- I have a huge problem with, I mean, if you're going to fund, if you're going to fund education inside prison and outside prison, that's the perfect scenario, and that's what should be done. But if you can, if you're only going to fund one or the other, take care of the people that the that the, the MFers at the Department of Corrections and the Washington State Legislature are releasing into nothingness. And by the way, loaded on Suboxone too many times to count. Um, and just again, like I mean, no, no job, no clothing, no hope, and you're releasing to COVID land. Which you, you know, you come out of prison and you know what Seattle looked like before you went. You know what Walla Walla looked like before you went down. You know what Spokane looked like before you went to prison. You have no idea what's out here now. You know, have you been downtown? I know you don't come downtown very often, but like, I come to town. I I leave Green Lake. On the 62, which comes right, it hits Third Avenue at Belltown, and there's just blocks and blocks of people in tents sleeping under blankets on sidewalks. It's 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 beyond outrageous. Um, and, and then I, you know, I get down around the post office and go down the tunnel and get on the link. And but but people coming out of prison to this horror story that exists out here with boarded up businesses and you know, restaurants closed and you can't even sit down at a Starbucks. Right. And, and, uh, and you can, yeah, you can enroll in college, but you're going to be sitting in your apartment doing classes online and you just finished 26 years and you can't spell computer, let alone work one. Right. So, so they're, they're releasing into this dystopian world with no clothes, no job, no money, no rent. No, no, nothing. It's just a, I call it nothing. So, so, like, if 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 uh, if the Roger Goodmans and Jeannie Darnells of the world really, truly wanted to make a difference, and Claire Wilson too, um, and Lauren, then they wouldn't be they wouldn't be like focused on more programs inside the prisons. They'd be focused on what's going on after release. You know, where people can overdose. And, you know, another guy that you and I've talked about a lot, Mark Stern, is very involved in the healthcare authority work group, the opioid work group. And, and you know, we've talked about his morbidity studies, which have been, you know, reaffirmed. And, and you know, so, you, you know, you, you release from prison and within, within less than two years of your release, you huge numbers of people are dying from overdose. They're dying from suicide. And uh, and then recidivating, and then those who don't die from overdose or suicide, um, 
you know, 53% of them are, are catching new cases and go and returning to prison with new felony convictions. So like, you know, focus on those. If the, if the legislature was responsible, that's what they would do. But they're, they're chicken shit, cowardly. Uh, I mean, just, it's just legislative cowardice gone wild. You know, they're not, they're, they don't want to be accused of being soft on crime and, Whatever. I'm even getting tired of hearing myself whine and cry about this. It's just, it's just, but it's just, it's horrible. I mean, families are going down the tubes. Parents, you know, children don't have parents. It's just people are homeless. It's cold outside. You know, it's impossible. It's hard to get jobs. Everything is extremely difficult. So uh, uh, I, I don't know. So I, I'm not real big on programs in prisons right now because, number one, to sum it up, DOC is not going to implement them effectively. Uh, and number two, that, that it, that's not where the money needs to be spent. You know, it's really not. Only a few minutes left. So when Steve Sinclair actually steps away, is there any chance of him – being replaced with someone you would uh, find supportive of your work? No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. And you know, the big guessing game out here with people like me and Melody Simley and other friends and allies and stakeholders, and you know, like Rachel Sievers at Disability Rights Washington, and 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 so on. The big guessing game is like who's in, who's ends, who will Ensley bring in and the big hope is that that he won't do something as dumb effing stupid as Gregoire did when she brought Harold Clark in back in 2005 you know the big the big fear is that that you know that that he'll bring in somebody that was as bad as Harold Clark or, or Bernie Warner that's the big fear and and you know um Harold Clark was, you know, Steve Sinclair has turned into a do-nothing, which has been really sad and disappointing. And uh, But Harold Clark was, you wished Harold Clark would do nothing, right? You know, you know it's like I had, a, I've got an ex-wife who said, like, bore me, please bore me. <laughs> I, I want so bad to be bored, right? So, like, <laughs> you know, so, uh, uh, so, um, uh, hold on, I gotta do this quick chat. Uh, hold on, let's see. Uh, hold on, let's see. Look. Uh, so it's just, you know, so I don't know. I mean, if, if I died, I would think I had died going to heaven if Inslee could had the sense to hire Scott Frakes and bring him back to Washington. Um, you know, he left here as a deputy prison division guy and and, uh, and is an amazing person and qualified, and he's been running the Department of Corrections in Nebraska very successfully for, for several years now. If Inslee brought somebody like Scott back, they'd be dancing in the street from people who are knowledgeable about what really goes on in the prisons. And, and, and frankly, if if... Pachoki, Dan Pachoki would never come back uh, under with Inslee in the governor's palace. But, um, you know, Dan, Dan uh, coming back as secretary, but, 
you know, when, when Inslee left him out, hang, hung him out to dry when the Republicans were tagging the DOC for the 3,200 who were released early, which had nothing to do with Dan. Because Dan, Dan had always been in the prison division, not in the administrative side where the computers are and stuff where the errors were made. But Inslee just let him dangle out there in front of the press and get eaten alive by Senate Human Services. So, and, and then Pachoki wrote this fabulous FU, I resign, I quit letter. He resigned in the Seattle Times, which was incredible. If you want to, if you want to read one of the coolest things I've ever read in the Seattle Times, just Google Dan Pachoki, Seattle Times. And it's a, it's an awe. And that's how he could. So like he, Dan would, Inslee would, I, I heard Nick Brown told me that Inslee was really bitter over Dan was resigning that way in, in the Seattle Times. And, and Dan was really bitter over being left out, you know, hung out to dry by Inslee. Uh, so that'll never happen. But Pachoki's young enough. To, to, to come back and run the DOC successfully for a decade easily. And he, and he, he's experienced, but that, that won't happen. Scott Frakes, you know, he's in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, and he was going to retire and the governor out there, I understand talking to the Senate another year. So I don't know. So, so no, since nobody knows it's a big guessing game and nobody knows enough to even really guess. So it's just, everybody's got their fingers crossed. Uh, you know, didn't didn't Ensley pick up the um, former writer at the Seattle Times to be his press liaison? I just saw that this morning. It's so disappointing. I I, I mean I know I met David Postman when he wrote for the Seattle Times. He wrote one of the best, the most amazing things written by anybody in media ever. It was this huge long article about the OK Boys Ranch back in 1995. And it was the best example of investigative reporting I've ever seen. And um, and then somehow he, you know, he left Seattle Times and he went to work for Paul Allen. And, and if you wanted to know where Paul Allen's 450 foot yacht was, you could ask Postman and he could tell you, oh, it's it's in, it's it's, in Mon- it's docked off Monaco. And then somehow, he, he, you know, he made it. He was at Vulcan for a while and then Inslee gobbled him up and. And he was a piece of shit in Inslee's office running staff for six, seven years. And now he's gone and good riddance, you know. I mean, so. All right. If I've got any good news, I don't know what it is, but it's all prisoner oriented. Go to our blog on our website and read about Jenny Burton. That's positive. Like, on fire. You know, unbelievable. So that's it. All right. Well, looking forward to either talking with you myself or um, folks at the Post Prison Education Program talking amongst each other next month. Yeah, but you know what? We can if, if this works out with if this WebEx recording works out, then we can try. We can do. Everybody that works here has their own WebEx personal room, and so we could we could do some neat things if this works.